0: So Money, Episode 790, Karen Burgreen, comedian and author. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everybody. October 3rd, 2018. If you've been following me on Instagram or maybe get my newsletter, you might know that I recently took stand up comedy classes here in New York City at Manhattan Comedy School. Uh, It was just something I always wanted to do. It scared me, so I had to try it. And I didn't bomb. Actually, I have a performance tonight. I've been doing a couple of performances here and there at Gotham Comedy Club at 7 p.m. And if you are in town, would love to see you, a little last-minute notice, but I would love to see you IRL in real life. I thought who better to have on So Money today than my comedy school teacher, from Manhattan Comedy School, Karen Burgreen. She is a comic and over the past decade, she's been keeping audiences rolling in the aisles all across the country. She's been on Comedy Central, Oxygen Network, VH1, The View and she performs all over the city, including live at Gotham. She's also an author of two fiction books. She keeps very busy as a mom of two. Her books are called Perfect is Overrated and Following Polly, a novel. She and I discuss all the highs and lows of being a female stand up comic. Growing up in New York City, she says, when people didn't want to be labeled as rich. And Karen's transition over to comedy. You know, she graduated from Harvard, she went to law school, worked in law for a few years, but then she changed course. How she pivoted, why she pivoted, is where we begin. Here we go. Here's Karen Burgreen. Karen Burgreen. Welcome to So Money. It's so nice to invite my teacher on the show. Welcome. Hi, Carnoosh, who is so talented and funny, and I'm sure your listeners know that already. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for saying that. I mean, we had our little graduation, and it's an unparalleled audience, right? It's like all your friends and like my husband and everyone else's friends and family. And so if you don't get laughs, like you're doing you're just I don't even know what what's going on like it was a- I know
1: but I happen to have had a friend in the audience that night who was blown away and she particularly mentioned you so that that came unsolicited that little
0: Oh, thank you. Well, props to you, Karen, for carrying us to the finish line in some ways. You know, it's a six-week program that we all embarked on, and the class did eventually shrink in size, but you said that's pretty typical. But the remaining students, I felt, you know, we all... Grew and I think we all, you know, we came for a reason. We felt maybe we had some funny things to say, but stand up is such an art form. It's not like just telling jokes to your friend at a dinner party. It's like you really, Absolutely. it's about, yeah, and you really got kind of gave us the mechanics, but also um, a lot of good framework for telling good jokes on the stage. And you are a professional comedian, but you didn't start out as a comedian. And so let's go I back not. in time. Let's go back in time a little bit. Tell me about Harvard and you know your law experiments and and ultimately what brought you to comedy. So but way back when, young Karen, like younger Karen, twenties, Karen, young Karen. What, what were the What were the yep. hopes and dreams? Well, the hopes and
1: dreams of young Karen. I I think I just wanted something to. I actually wanted to do something that was fun and relevant. And I didn't have any idea beyond that. I didn't, I never, like, I never thought to go to a guidance person back in the dark ages when I was little, like parents didn't sit down with their kids always and say, you know, here, here's what you should do. And so I ended up, you know, I'm at Harvard and frankly, all I did at Harvard was watch TV. And a friend of mine said to me, you know, you should do something in television. And I was like, no, I thought that was like, not intellectual enough. Mm. And sort of like, and I, I also was afraid of what my parents would think, because they're a little snobby that way. And I just didn't really focus on it. So I kind of last minute, I went and like was a paralegal on a big law firm, which I didn't really like. And I actually tried to do doing stand up like secretly at night, I didn't tell my, my family, I didn't tell most of my friends. And it was very, like, it was a lifestyle that grossed me out. And it was a lot of drugs. It was, I I didn't relate to any of the people. I mean, back then, people, there was nobody in stand-up that I met who had gone to Harvard. There was nobody who really went to college. I mean, it was a different, at least in the open mic, sort of dark of the night scene. It was just, I felt very alone. I was immature. I didn't have enough of a hunger for it and it just, it kind of threw me. And then I went to law school, didn't even love law school, but I'm somebody who, even though I don't love things, I like them. So I was sort of fine with all this stuff. And then I went and worked in a big law firm and it was fine, but I looked around at the people who worked in the firm and there was nobody who I wanted to be. And you know how in every job there's somebody you want to be like, you know, up until that point, like in high school there, were, you know, when I was like in ninth grade, there was like the senior I wanted to be. When I was in college, there was a, uh, there were like other students I wanted to be our professors. And even in law school, a little bit, but in the law firm, and there was just, it was very disheartening, and then I started to, then I went sort of backwards, and I clerked for a judge, and for for your listeners who know the law, that's like something you usually do right out of law school, Um, it was a great job, it was really fun, and I thought, oh my God, I'm never going to get a job that's this much fun, and I interviewed at a bunch of places, and I even interviewed at a network um doing you know sort of you know contract law, you know contracts for for the network kind of thing and i walked in and there were you know posters of the sitcom stars of the time which were you know the most famous people and i i was like oh my god and i actually harbored this weird fantasy that i'd be like funny you know in the law part And suddenly, somebody from the creative part would be like, "She's hilarious. Let's cast her." She's in the wrong. Yeah, she's in the wrong place. Like, I actually had this fantasy that that was going to happen. It was so deranged and in denial. And and but then I sat with like six of them. It was like a third interview. I sat with six of them, and they were just squat. And they couldn't have been nicer. But they were so opposite of me. They were very buttoned up and perfect like perfectly pressed and they said do you have any questions for us and i started to picture that all i would be doing is stuff i'm not good at which is proofreading and little details and stuff and i i was like having an anxiety attack and i said you know what i think i'm in the wrong place i'm going to go pursue my career as a stand up comic and and I'm sure when I left, they were like, oh, my God, we dodged a huge bullet (laughs) and I left and then I just started doing, you know, open mics. I'd been doing a little bit of that and some improv stuff for fun. I got cast in some strange little thing on USA Network, like during that time. And I remember somebody saying to me, you have to treat this as a job. You have to t- treat your learning about stand up as the way, you know, you get up when you get up for work, like get up at that hour. And it was really good advice. And I took acting, I had money, some money saved from being a lawyer. I took some acting classes. I also kept working as a lawyer doing contract work, like, you know, writing. I worked at a law firm doing, like, writing briefs for them and saved up money. And then, um, And then I, um, and then, sorry, a call came through and I lost my thing. So I wrote briefs for these people. And then I started to, like, within a couple of years, I started getting on television commercials and stuff. And I Mm -hmm. finally said goodbye to the law. And I, at that time, I was actually... I was making a pretty okay living doing, like, TV commercials. I was There was more money to be given out at comedy during that time doing certain kinds of shows. I had a development deal at HBO. Wow. Um, pretty busy. All by yourself? Yeah, or did had, you have a
0: team at that point? I had a manager. Mm-hmm. I had a manager. I had a manager that sort of discovered
1: me, like, uh, pretty early on, like, maybe two or three years into it. And he introduced me to a lot of people um i in fact i would say i was probably too passive i should have been more i should have relied less on him but i at that point i was i am a little bit of a rule follower and you know and so mm-hmm. i kind of did what he said and and he, he gave pretty good guidance at that point.
0: Did you feel like you had a community of other people supporting you? Like what is the climate in the comedy world in terms of people like supporting each other? Like as an entrepreneur, I feel like there's all these networks, especially for women to support each other. And, like, right. In comedy, is it just super competitive? You're really in your own silo. How does it work? I th- I had a couple of friends at that time that I
1: was really close to, you know, before I got married, like really close to like we would go out and do open mics together and hang out like every night we would, go you know, go to the open mics at and then maybe go to the diner for dinner or something like that. Um, but there was there weren't a lot of women and, you know, there was never like you would never be on a show where there was another woman. so
0: you didn't really have like the only. Because it was way to just too much estrogen woman. for the for the audience, or what? Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. They'd be like, "We already have a woman."
0: Oh my gosh!
1: We've. Or they'd be like, "We have a black person, so we can't have a woman." Like, oh my gosh! It's like, very different. Yeah. What year was and this? The, the, when this was like in the early like two thousand. Late nineteen, late nineties um like they would say stuff i mean it's very behind you know it's very behind all of the stuff that was it was re- really weird for me coming from a legal background like not just legal but like i was working for a federal judge where i was doing cases like about just sex discrimination but like you know m- like what's it going to help me going like hey, i not have a law degree sex, you know nobody would let you know what i mean you just have to kind of keep your head down a little bit and so they would sometimes put on all women's shows um, and then women would be happy to perform together. Very competitive. They were like different, you know, some women were very supportive of each other and some were just like, there's not enough spots for everybody. So they were a little bit cutthroat, which I see less in the, in the male comic community because there is often room for more than one guy. In the show and guy at the top. So it was, it was definitely, I didn't have this huge sense of community. Now, there may be a, another comic from that time that disagrees mm. with me, but that was not my feeling. I sense much more now from my, like just being on Facebook and stuff. I'm in a lot of sort of female comic groups and there's so much support out there. There's a lot more opportunities to perform. There's a, there's more of a desire to
0: see female comics. Um, still,
1: it could use some work.
0: Yes, yes, I agree. And like a lot of boys' clubs industries, I think that it's going to take time. But but there's a lot of sea change happening. Whether you're looking at places like the comedy world or you know the film industry, financial right. industry, there's there's a where you know usually male dominated. I think um, bad behavior is less is 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 not going unnoticed.
1: But, you know, the, the funny thing to me is, like, with TV, with comedy, with movies, with with novels, you know, uh, the audience is women. Like, you know, it's women who say, I want this TV show. Women are the ones who binge watch the TV shows. Women are the ones who say, you know, let's go to this movie uh, in the relationship. I think generally, not always, but generally, you know, in In fiction writing, I think it's seventy percent of novelists are women, and it's because women read novels. I think if women, if women start supporting shows that have more women on them, that's when it's going to be the change. You know, I think just this thing with I'm having a blank with the Greta Gerwig movie, that adorable movie that. Was up for an Oscar last year. Do you know oh, the one? I'm yeah, um, out, which, the one.
0: About, um, yes, it was about her sort of high school comeuppance and her. Yeah, watched it, it. Yeah, it was great.
1: The fact of the matter is, I you know I want to see that kind of movie all the time. Mm-hmm. You know those I like those little character study kind. Of, I saw. Peppermint because I have two children and nothing on Jennifer Garner, but Jennifer Garner was not the executive producer of the movie. She didn't write the movie. She didn't, you know, she didn't direct the movie and all that money came in and it was this sort of fantasy, this revenge fantasy where she's so strong and everything, but it wasn't really, it didn't really have a feminine voice to it, you know? And I do think if what, and I went with my husband and kids and my kids, you know, were young and they liked it because it had violence in it. And my husband was like, "It." My husband didn't mind it. I mean, he didn't think it was good, but he didn't mind. For me, I was like, "This is why is this movie being made?" And it's, you know, I, it's, I'm not here to bash peppermint, but I'm just thinking like, it's just the kinds of things where if women are more aggressive about the kind of movies and the kind of TV shows and the books and stuff and the kind of comedy that they want to see, this is all going to change because the people who book the comedy club all they care about is money you know they're not sitting there thinking like we got it right they're not thinking like we got to keep the male patriarchy happening they don't even know what that is you know they're like we need to sell
0: tickets Right. And I think to your point, what um, Frances McDormand talked about this inclusion writer at the Oscars where she was mm-hmm. like, you know, you want these movies made. And yeah, great that we have these, you know, female driven stories. But we also need the people who are writing the stories and directing the stories and, um, you know, just all the production people like we need more um, women there as well, because that is ultimately what does lend itself to that feminine voice and that feminine kind of like framework that you were talking about. Um, right.
1: Yeah. I love that when she did that.
0: Yeah. It was so important. I forgot,
1: I forgot that they did that.
0: Yeah. I didn't even know that was like, you, you know, that you could even request this, but yeah, if you're, you know, um, a Hollywood actress, like you should ask for this in, in the movie that you're being cast in. So the movie that you were mentioning, the Frances McDormand movie, by the way, is Lady Bird. Yeah. And was really, really great. Okay, so just wanted to – I know some listeners always like – like yeah. latch onto those things they want to know and I wanted to know too. Um so you mentioned briefly kind of how you supported yourself financially as you transitioned from law to comedy. You seems like you straddled both worlds and then even still as now a full-time comedian, you also have a very successful writing career writing novels. And so tell us about how that became part of also your your career and your ecosystem.
1: Well, and also to be fair, I'm also married to somebody who makes way more money than I do. So that's like I would be living a different I would be living a different life. So I want to make that very clear. Um, But the but also because I got married and had kids and I was home all the time and I have a husband who is a workaholic and um, who is, you know, sort of a traditional guy. Uh, He's. Latin, <laughs> um, he, when I, when, when I had my kids, especially after the second kid, a lot of the work kind of dried up. In fact, my manager, who I'd been very close with, jumped me without a thought. Like I didn't even get a, I didn't even get an email, nothing. And it was very weird. I, I think he just literally didn't know how to say you know, I don't think this relationship is going to be lucrative for us anymore. So instead he like ghosted me, but it was a very long relationship that just ended. And it's, it's just, it was upsetting. And I just, I started, you know, the work kind of dried up and more than that, I was home all the time. And I went through what I diagnosed myself as having like a postpartum depression and I... Did I, I, for many reasons, like, you know, I don't think it was it wasn't like a Brooke Shield, like I was tempted to like, you know, throw myself down the stairs or throw the babies down the stairs or anything like that. Yeah. It was more like I just felt this weird identity thing where I thought oh my God, I'm I'm a mother now. Like, that's my whole thing. I'm not a comic anymore. And people would come up to me. They'd be like, hey, mommy. Like, that was my new thing. And it's really like I was the same person, but I had kids. But suddenly this new identity was thrust upon me and I didn't really know how to integrate that into my life. And I didn't have as many opportunities to just, keep the comedy muscle going like i couldn't uh, i you know i didn't see the justification for you know working i do a lot of work for free and i the idea of paying you know 50 bucks to a babysitter to go out and perform for free then maybe have to take cabs because i felt bad about leaving the kids and you know, or I or I would work for a small, you know, club money is nothing. So even if you're getting like a real spot at a comedy club, which is your way to get other work, um, I still like had a hard time with it. And I got very depressed. And I remember at that time, my uh, friend of mine had said to me, you know, you should really write a novel because you think like a novelist and you read a lot. So I started to write a novel, and I wrote a novel. I wrote my first novel, which is really about somebody finding her hopes and dreams, as you put it. Did you read my first novel? Because it was funny that you said that.
0: I didn't read your first novel, but oh, I'm just really like it
1: was a whole thing. <laughs> it was a it was a whole thing. Like the whole thing is like I mean, it's a comic romantic mystery. Like it's not it's not you know uh, it, it's not meant to be anything else, but you know, in order to support the story, it has to have a little oomph to it. And it really is about finding your hopes and dreams. And then, um, and then after I did that novel, I wrote a novel where I explored the whole postpartum depression thing about the identity, the self-identity of women after they have children. And again, not the kind of chemical stuff that some people are talking about, but this identity stuff. And I, and when i went on tour with that book like so many psychotherapists and psychiatrists would say to me oh my god you nailed this like and i just did it literally i said i just really wrote from my own experience that was it and um so I, that's what so i i did try to you know i do think stand up isn't a great career for somebody who has small children um because it, unless you really have a terrific partnership with somebody because, and it's not that my husband, my husband is a great partner, but he wasn't a good partner when the kids were small in terms of taking on, you know, half the work kind of thing. It's a lot, it's a lot to deal with. And my standup changed. I used to be a completely, you know, the comedy that you saw me doing at your graduation show was not what I used to do. I used to do very dry observational, like my idol had always been Jerry Seinfeld. And, I, I didn't do Seinfeld stuff, but I did. It was a little bit like stuff that I was very removed from, like the kind of stuff I would talk about was, you know, I would talk about. Which the is
0: really company, hard, yeah. by the way, because um, sometimes the lowest hanging comedic fruit is like the stuff that you have a lot of, you know, your experience experience with. right. right.
1: Right, that like triggers you more into like the yeah. I was really into the word puzzles, you know, like sort of like I was into the puzzle of writing a joke, like the right the the, the I was the intellect in like you, yeah, sort of thing. yeah, yes. I like the that. academic, and then and then I wasn't motivated by that once I had kids. That was another thing that happened to me. I was like, why am I talking about Starbucks, you know, in my <laughs> act? Like right. I, I have these, like I had so much this huge well of emotions that were going on, and I wasn't doing any of them.
0: Think about the security Fortune 500 companies use. They need to know police are going to be on the scene immediately. This is exactly the kind of security you get with Simply Safe. If there's a break-in, they use real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime, and that means police dispatch up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. With Safe, you get comprehensive protection for your home. Outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching your house. Entry motion and glass break sensors guard inside. Plus, Safe protects your home from fires, water damage, carbon monoxide poisoning, and it's all monitored 24-7 by live security professionals. You can set it up yourself with no tools needed or they can do it for you and it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. Visit simplysafe.com/so money. You'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. Be sure you go to simplysafe.com/so money so they know our show sent you. That's simplysafe.com/so money. Do you think that if you no. had gotten pregnant at this stage in your career, let's say you know you're because like I'm looking at women like Ali Wong, um, right? And even like you know, although Tina Fey and and some of the others were already famous before they had children, um, I do think that there's more of an acceptance or, and like more of an inc- a curiosity even an interest in women who are going through real life things and also yeah telling jokes.
1: Yes. Well, I do. I remember, I remember like, I remember three nights before I had my, my first son, I was at the comic strip on a Friday night. It was like, you know, around 10 o'clock at night. And there was a girl who must have been, you know, in her early 20s in the audience. And she stood up during my act and you know, I had a pregnant belly, although it was kind of weird, like the way I got pregnant, I just looked fat. And um, she stood up and she said, I said, I had one joke about being pregnant. I had I had a joke like, um, it was something like we want a boy We want a girl, but if we have a boy, we'll raise it as a girl, which is totally like an inappropriate joke that you could never Mm -hmm. tell now. But a joke that like was sort of my I used that was like my throwaway joke for the audience to let them know that I knew I was pregnant. But I didn't even like telling the joke. I was just like wanting to do my stuff. And this girl stood up. She said, I think um, it's disgusting, she was disgusting to be pregnant <gasps> and you look disgusting. Whoa. And she was wearing a t-shirt, a kid. She, I I mean, I slammed her like she was wearing a t-shirt that said like, you know, sex, drugs and cocaine or something. And then I made fun of the fact that drugs and cocaine were like redundant. Like I was completely like, mean <laughs> to her. but it was but it was the kind of thing that nobody now would say. I don't think a heckler would say that. You know, that and nobody from the club tried to, you know, nobody from the club said, ooh, like, you know, went over to her and said, sit down or anything. It was just, there's just a complete, there's a different feel now. Mm -hmm. You know, it feels like, you know, right now women feel like they're under attack, but their women are way less under attack.
0: Right. I I do agree with that, and that's a good thing. And um, maybe men feel more under attack now, but that's also we're 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 trying to level the playing field. Everybody, okay? Right. So some people are going to get more affected than others.
1: Um, (laughs) I do. I feel like men probably do feel like they were under attack because they were never they could do things without any consequence, and now there's like and now there there are consequences. you know, what it's like there's nothing in it for them except for sort of feeling fair to sort of let women have a seat at the table. Like there is going to be less for them, you know, less room for them at the jobs. There is going to be more accountability. I can understand why they might feel threatened. I really do. Yeah. But that's
0: but it. but it's kind of like, so what? That's the way it is. Right. That's the right thing. Welcome to our world. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, Karen, tell me a little bit about growing up in New York City. That's always – I always find that fascinating, meeting people who actually lived here since childhood – I, I got that from your bio. Maybe I right. I, I don't know how true that is in terms of like, yeah. were You born here? No, okay, I, did. I
1: lived it. I've never, I've never, I've never not lived it. Wow. Um, as an as a non student, um, so
0: I. How does that How um, does that um impact your lens through which you see like the world of money and th- things that of value? Because I feel like living here, I have such a jaded sense of what mm-hmm. things should cost and what things are worth because I pay right. so much for milk and everything else. But... Um, what well, the was dirty you? little secret is that when I grew up, New York was actually not expensive. Like,
1: New York was really cheap when I grew up. Yeah. And suddenly everything happened. Everything happened around, like, the. I think there was some... In the 90s, I think things got out of control. Um, but you could really live... I mean, people... You could have, like, a very low-paying job and live in Manhattan. You might not live in a nice area, but you could live in Manhattan. You could have a, you know, you could you didn't have to have a roommate or anything like that. I mean, I remember I lived in right out of when I was a lawyer, I paid $800 a month for my apartment and I had a big apartment on Park
0: Avenue, a one bedroom apartment. Wow. Yeah. You, you can't even get I mean, a parking a, spot on Park Avenue for $800 yeah. a month yeah.
1: right. now. Right. No. I mean, you can't get a, go to Starbucks for that. It's a joke. And um, so I do think that, but I did, you know, I grew up, I went to a private school and I went to school with very rich people, but the view of money was very different. And this is less about sort of financial advice than just sort of the way people, the culture of money, how it's changed. When I grew up talking about, you know, your wealth and showing off how much money you had was considered in such bad taste, so that nobody would ever, people didn't even wear like, it. people didn't really wear a designer bag that has like a big logo on it. I mean, if you did, you were considered sort of quote, low class, like it was just a very different world. Like people in New York didn't dress up for everything and people didn't have to wear, put on, you know, a full face of makeup to just leave their house the way people feel that they do now. Again, that's something that happened, I don't know, with reality TV and, and stuff like that where suddenly the showing off thing with money became not only acceptable, but that's like what people did. You know, people want you to know. I mean, I remember there was a girl in my in my school growing up who had a, a car and driver and no one knew if she would drop be dropped off like a block away from the school wow. it would be embar it was embarrassing for her. It was humiliating for her. And that is really interesting. I don't think, and now that's not the case. Now when people have it they want everybody to know. Right. It's a very different feel.
0: Interesting. So I wonder I
1: do, I know so I do think like it was kind of like you didn't there wasn't that feel of the haves and the have nots around money the way mm. there is now and things were affordable like private school was affordable i mean things just mm. it just it was a different world now new york wasn't as nice as it is now it wasn't as pretty central park was a dump you know and there were there was crime but i you know it's like you know it's a big it's a very different city like i remember so i I think um, Chris Note said on some interview that New York was like Dubai now, like <laughs> a big mall.
0: It's like, like Las know, Vegas. It's yeah. Or it's like all about yeah. the ex- exuberant yeah. showing off. And I do think that something in over, maybe it was, I don't know exactly the decade, but it was a lot of, I think the internet has definitely, we now can see how everyone else is living. Mm-hmm. We can we know how much people paid for things. There's all that is more transparent now, and I think that right. that has uh, changed behavior and changed value systems. And I think that companies that want to make more money they are also targeting people more. Precisely, like social media, and they're really they're really tugging at our purse strings and our sort of emotional strings too. Like you know, you need this, whatever, because this right it, it, because and they're tra- they're equating it to things that that suggest that if you don't have this or if you do have this, and it says something about your character or you know your devotion. Like I know as a mom, there's so much stuff that is being marketed to me and others, right. That if I don't buy this certain whatever, then I'm like, I'm The I'm not, stroller. Yeah. Like the $800 stroller, like I'm basically right. endangering my child if I don't get it.
1: That's true. I mean, and well, even things as simple as like the cable bill. I mean, I remember the cable bill being like 8 or $9 because you didn't have a lot of channel. And suddenly, I don't know, at, like literally like overnight one time it was like a hundred something dollars for tv but when i grew up there wasn't even cable so you didn't have to pay extra for tv the phone was basically i mean you had to pay for like the price for long distance phone call was expensive but the phone was really the phone call bill was nothing and now you know everyone's forced to buy these expensive phones where you have you know their kids are addicted so you have to buy a lot of data so you have you know several hundred dollars a month in a phone bill. You know, your kids are still small but my kids like if I didn't do the unlimited data plan, we would be paying twice as much on overages
0: the phone, though, is sort of like everything now, though, right? I forgot my wallet right. last night. I was I went to a comedy show, in fact, with some girlfriends, and I forgot my wallet. But I could still get by. Because I could pay everybody back using my you know, Chase pay or whatever. And then also right. I had Uber <laughs> so I could get home. And right. so I don't really need my wallet anymore is what I, I guess.
1: Well, life is definitely more convenient now. And it's sort of easier, I guess, but it is, it does, it's just everything is so expensive and it doesn't seem to be that people's salaries are going up to meet that, you know, to meet the cost of what we're being g- given and the stroller thing. I mean, I, the one thing I was thinking when I was talking about the, what it just sort of goes back to the money thing about how people don't um Talk, you know, didn't used to talk about how much things, you know, how rich they were. I think there's also like a value now in getting stuff for really cheap that people didn't used to brag about. So that's the the opposite side. Like, you know, now if you can find like a fabulous dress for eleven dollars, you tell everybody you know. But I don't know that that was true when I was growing up. I think that would be embarrassing, you know, to get something cheap, you know, because people just really didn't talk about money.
0: So I mean, there was a little bit of that sort of puritanical, like you don't talk about money. So complex, which is, I think, why I think it's so fascinating. And I'm I'm grateful now that, you know, we can talk about it to an extent. But yeah, there's still people that I have on this show that uh, don't want to answer some of my questions because they're like, that's not how I was raised, Farnoosh, you know, and I I think that's interesting, too
1: right well it is really complicated um because it does because because also the what you're being paid for certain jobs and stuff seems kind of arbitrary i mean i know it's not because it's all about but it does it does seem to not necessarily measure up to how hard you
0: work net worth self-worth you know there is that there is that relationship i think that people right Interesting. Well, who knew we were going to talk so much about this kind of stuff with having you on the podcast? I, I mean, I kind of thought we would, but we didn't get to this be- during I, class. I, I feel bad because I have not
1: said one funny thing <laughs> I, said,
0: I said negative well, funny things. I would never put you on the depression. spot like that. And I mean, this is, but you have been a delight. And you, I, we can obviously tell, like, you have a good sense of humor. And tell us how we can. Learn where you'll be performing next. This is October third. This is episode is airing. So, do you have anything that's happening, like that you know about in the in the month of October that we can? Uh...
1: There's nothing I can think of right now. But like, do you know what I'm like? I'm one of my goals is to be very update myself all the time on Facebook. So you can find me on Facebook or follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that
0: stuff. And I also have a website, KarenBergreen.com. Yes, which we will put as well on our site and we'll men- we mentioned it in the intro and we'll remind people at the end. Last but not least, let's do some So Money fill in the blanks, Karen. Just finish the sentence. Okay. I mean, okay. This is where you can like, okay. you know, do a little improv. Oh, this is where it can be funny. This is my okay. So Money improv opportunity for everybody on the show. Okay. So, okay. okay. the f- <laughs>
1: I all the
0: time. <laughs> Alright. Uh, okay. If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is get a uh, masseuse on hand like on staff on demand yeah like on demand and like and
1: somebody to like you pass around hors d'oeuvres on demand <laughs> yeah
0: like an au pair but you also are very yeah. handsy uh, right yeah um, okay the one thing I spend money on that makes my life easier or better is ooh um, kettle. Jalapeno
1: potato chips. Ooh, the kettle from Dwayne Reed. Yes. Kettle jalapeno potato chips, and and the reason why I spent money is this is from Dwayne Reed, which is an overpriced pharmacy. <laughs> well, they have like a lot. seven dollars for they call it seven servings, but it's one serving.
0: Oh come on, seven servings? Are you chipmunks? Yeah, like, like I don't. I, yeah, yeah, like no. seven servings FEO you are you know. Anorexic. Yeah. <laughs> You're a Hollywood up. actress. Okay. Oh right. my gosh, that's terrible. Okay. We didn't really mean that. Um, right. When I splurge, like really, you know, you go for the big kahuna. I like to spend my money on um, restaurants. Yeah. I like to spend my money on restaurants. I love you know, I like eating out. Do you feel like... like a little too much wine? Yeah. I mean, I love a little, a little, just a little too much. A little. Th- I had one glass of white wine last night and I'm paying for it this morning. And I don't know if it's like, got to drink more. You got to drink more. I got to drink more, I guess. It's, but oh. yeah, because it's like, it's like
1: exercise. You know how you exercise? I got to flex the wine muscle. If you drink a lot, you get good at it.
0: I got to flex the muscle. Okay. So just, that was not the answer I thought I was going to get. I thought it was like, you need to drink, hydrate, and sleep more because, you know. No, just drink more. That will totally help you. All right. I'll work on that. All right. So one thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is? You should save it.
1: <laughs> you should save your money and not spend it on undo- undo-
0: undo- Reed. Oh my god, those jalapeno chips. They don't they got rid of the um I feel like sour cream is 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 escaping the market. I, I that's my favorite flavor and now it's being replaced by like really? I never.
1: I mean I'm oh, all about
0: spice. Yeah, oh, the I sriracha, the jalapeno. Spice, yeah. Yeah, and I like the combination of sweet with spicy. So there's one that's and like sweet salt. chili that I like. Oh man. I'm kind of a chip expert if you have a podcast. You should do a, you should do jokes about that. That's hilarious. Right. You but should you should write some jokes around that. I have a gift. I have a gift everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so good. I can eat a whole bag Two. in one serving so, instead of seven.
1: And by the way, that's not even, it's not like that's a substitute for any of the other meals or snacks in the day. That's like a separate. No.
0: And thing. how are you so thin? May I ask? Is it just good? Genes? I exercise a lot. You exercise a lot. What's your, what's your yeah. favorite exercise? Running or?
1: Electrical,
0: elliptical, elliptical, okay. elliptical. You know Why? Because you could do it in front of the TV, and I love TV. That's the everything's full there, circle. Oh, we've come full circle. You're right. You can't really yes. run. I I don't really understand these treadmills with televisions. I'm like, I can't enjoy this Allie McBeal episode right now. I'm dying at right. six miles per hour. When are you watching Allie McBeal? What channel is it? Um, it's on. I think it's on Hulu. Hulu. Yeah. Oh. I belong
1: to New York Sports, where they don't have Hulu. Do you do it on a, on a, like I belong to like, one thing I don't spend money on is my, is my, is my fitness regime. Like I belong to New York sports, which is like a subway with an elliptical.
0: Uh. Disgusting. <laughs> I hope you, you don't have a New York sports CEO. No, we just them. got this Chelsea Pierce. They suck I live in Brooklyn and. Oh okay. Which uh is I love where I live. We have all these great restaurants and and we have Dwayne Reed. We also have this um Chelsea Piers. Just By the way, up.
1: Brooklyn was like not a thing No, it, was
0: it wasn't. Brooklyn was sort of yeah. It just became a it thing like, like 4 what? weeks ago. Like it wasn't
1: Yeah. Uh, no.
0: I was here before it was cool. And cold. it's still not a thing for me, no offense. No, I know. It's I least live on the Upper West Side. I miss it. Yeah, it's
1: Brooklyn is like it's like the Upper West Side but in the, the another city. Like it's not, I mean, you know, if you're from New York City, unless you're from Brooklyn. Like if you're from Brooklyn, it's all about Brooklyn, but if you're from Manhattan going to Brooklyn seems like you're you I don't need know, Yeah, stuff. you need
0: like uh, I, your you're passport. I do hate mail, but
1: the Brooklyn people are very into Brooklyn people are very into Brooklyn in a way that Manhattan people are not into Manhattan. But Manhattan people just assume Manhattan.
0: Yes. You know? Well, also, you're raised there, too. So this, you're very, right. you have a, a strong allegiance to it. I get it. Right. Totally gets and it. And
1: it also just makes more sense. Like, the, like, I love the way the streets are laid out. Everything. Yeah. It's, it's like. It's a grid. It's like
0: city. Yeah. City for dummies. That's so good. <laughs> I know. One time, I got in a cab, and I said, "I'm going to Third Street and like Sixth Avenue," and he was like, "How do I get there?" And I was like, "Are you serious? We're at like Fourth right. Street and Second Avenue, so just do the math." Like,
1: I mean, that is a guy who really like. Oh, why he probably needs you to go four thirty to
0: Sixth Avenue because he does everything on the GPS. He doesn't understand the way the grip, yeah, grid. Yeah, he doesn't works. understand the grid. So that was frustrating, but that was also before, um, like I think really GPSs were a thing. Um, all right. And last but not least, I'm Karen Burgreen. I'm so money because, um, oh my God, that's a hard
1: one. (laughs) Um, because I have a great dog. That's pathetic.
0: You have a great dog. Dog or job? I do. Dog, dog. It's dog. the only other woman in your uh, in your family, right? Yeah, she's so good. She's standing right next to me. She's just looking at me, <laughs> staring at me. It's like, what are you so talking I, about,
1: mom? I wanted to do something that I felt good about myself for, and it's really, it's not my kids, it's not my husband, it's not my work. It's the fact that I have this endless affection, Oh endless A great <laughs> so investment. Nice. I know, but you know what? You should just like I didn't like that answer, and I'm not really sure what a good answer would be. But
0: find an answer that somebody else gave you, and just like and just splice it in. Approximate my voice. You're gonna yeah. sound like someone else, but no, yeah, I, mean, I I like, am so money because I have great boobs or something, which I would never say. But that's like I think that's like the right answer. Like I have
1: I have really great boobs.
0: That is a something. first time on the show. But I I like it. I mean, so money, it's just this uh, open-ended, you know, definition. It's like whatever. Like it could be a real money-oriented answer or it could be like I have great – do you want to do a makeover or should we keep it? No, I think it's funnier like that. Yeah, I think so too. I think so, too. Like, just like with me being paranoid, so I gave a wrong answer. <laughs> um, have you started fall classes yet? Are you have, do you have a new class for your uh, Manhattan School I of Comedy? I have a new class starting October, um, I think it's October 8th. October 8th. Okay, so you do have time to sign up for Karen's class at uh, the Manhattan
1: Man- Comedy School.
0: Manhattan Comedy School. That's where I went. It's six weeks. It's- I
1: also do private coaching. Yes. do private coaching if you don't want to deal with a class. Although, I, you know, this isn't in my financial interest, which is, as you know, I'm not good at that. But if, this is not in my financial interest. But I do think if you've never done stand-up before, you're better off taking a class. But if you if that doesn't sort of fit you, I'm a good
0: private coach too. All right, Karen, I might take you up on that. Mm. I need to do more Persian mom jokes. I have a lot of material that has the Persian mom stuff is
1: so money. (laughs) That's so money.
0: It's culturally relevant. Everyone's talking about their culture these days, and I feel like I got some stuff to add to that conversation. Thank you so much for coming on. This was a blast. This was fun. Jalapeno chips in your future. To learn more about Karen, visit com. You can also find her on Twitter at KarenBurgreen. To learn more about Manhattan Comedy School, maybe take Karen's class, go to ManhattanComedySchool.com. And as a reminder, I will be at Gotham Comedy tonight. That is in Chelsea in Manhattan, 7 p.m., to drink minimum, but I would love to see you. And if you are gonna come, let me know ahead of time on Instagram or email me so that I make sure to say hi after the show. Thanks for tuning in everyone and I hope your day is so money.